Welcome to Gruesome. I am Connie along with my bestest for the restest, Meg. And she is going to talk where we are going to talk about the hint. How do I say it again? Hinterkaifeck. Okay. She is going to tell us about the, don't laugh. Hinterkaifeck. No, you're just like, okay, that's a word. Um, she's going to tell us about the Hinterkaifeck murders. And I shouldn't be laughing, but we went over out. When I tell you guys that I have a fat tongue and I can't say things very well, I went to speech for it and the, all these things because I there are just certain things that my my mouth doesn't move like that. It's just, it doesn't. It's okay. This uh, I actually stumbled upon this murder, the Hinterkaifeck murder, a couple of years ago on Reddit. And it just has stuck with me the whole time. I think about it on the regular. It's a hundred years old. It gives me the heebie-jeebies every time. And you guys chose spooky. So spooky it is. Um, and it starts in Germany. In Weidhofen, Germany, on the night of March 31st, 1922, a family of five and their maid were brutally murdered in their home, known as Hinterkaifeck. 63-year-old Andreas Gruber, his wife, 72-year-old Cecilia Gruber, their widowed daughter, 35-year-old Victoria Gabriel, her 7-year-old child, Celie, who was also named Cecilia after her grandma, but we're going to call her Celie, and then 2-year-old Joseph. The maid, Maria Baumgartner, was 44. Strange things were afoot in Hinterkaifeck in the days before this brutal attack. The farm was a sprawling pasture with livestock and crops. There was a home, a machine room, and stables. Its sole owner was Victoria, but her parents worked the farm just as well. Victoria was a widow. Her husband had gone off to fight in World War I and never returned. The seven-year-old, Celie, named after her grandma, was the child of Victoria and her now presumed dead husband, Six months after her husband died, both Victoria and Andreas were actually sent to prison for being in an incestuous relationship, so she and her father. After the sentence, they returned to Hinterkaifeck and presumed life as it was. Victoria served a month, Andreas served a year. Andreas was abusive and frequently forced himself upon his own daughter, which led to Andreas's sincere dislike of any man that attempted to speak to Victoria. He once told her that she would be his until she died and locked her in a closet until a male suitor left when he had come to talk to her. In September of 1919, Victoria gave birth to Joseph whose father's initials were listed as L.S. on his birth certificate. Victoria had had a brief relationship with a widowed neighbor, Lorenz Schlittenbauer. In November of 1920, the Gruber and Gabriel family hired a maid. The newly employed maid quit only 10 months later. And a lot of sources, if you read about her, they'll say that she quit because she thought the house was haunted. She kept hearing strange noises in the attic. She kept hearing muffled voices, but other sources say that she was scared off after she came across Andreas in the middle of sexually assaulting his daughter. The new maid was hired, a, a different new maid was hired at the end of March 1922, Maria Bumgartner, and she was set to move into their residence at Hinterkaifeck on March 31st. The strange events really started right around the time Maria was supposed to arrive. A set of keys went missing. 
Then Andreas Gruber found a strange newspaper from Munich, which was a town located 43 miles away from where they were. And it's not, you know, it's 1922. It's not now where there's newspapers from all over. If you got a newspaper that was from Munich, somebody in Munich had to have gotten that newspaper. And mm-hmm. no into Munich in recent memory. Andreas hadn't purchased it. He asked neighbors about it. He asked the postman about it, thinking like, oh, maybe the post accidentally dropped it during delivery. But no one in this village had ordered or subscribed to this newspaper. On March 30th, Andreas also discovered tracks in fresh snow leading from the forest to his farm's machine room. The padlock that held the door closed had been broken, and these fresh tracks in the snow led to Hinterkaifeck, and there were even snowy footprints inside the machine room, but there were no tracks that indicated that anyone had left. And these are human footprints. Nope. <clears throat> Hotel time. Later that same evening, the family heard footsteps in the attic. Andreas went upstairs and searched the attic, but he found nothing. He told his neighbor, Lorenz, about the missing keys and the break-in. And Lorenz was like, hey, you want to borrow my revolver? But Andreas declined. After going into town, he continued. He was telling everyone about this. He was like, it's been so weird. I think like maybe some rebels got into our house and they're hiding there. But he refused to accept any help. He said he had his rifle. He was prepared to deal with rebels if he had to. The keys, the broken lock, the footprints, the footsteps, all of it went unreported to police. On the morning of March 31st, Celie Gabriel was at school and she seemed exhausted. She was often ill, but her teacher was like, hey, are you okay? And Celie said that she was tired because her mother had run into the woods after fighting with Andreas and they had spent much of the night looking for her. She didn't mention any footsteps in the attic. Victoria was found early that morning. She was fine. She actually went into town later that day and also mentioned to a shopkeeper that she had heard strange noises that had been coming from the attic in their home. On the afternoon of March 31st, Maria Baumgartner arrived at the farm. Maria's sister had escorted her there and left the farm after a short stay. Her sister Francisca said that as she walked away from Hinterkaifeck, Maria rushed out to her and made her promise that she would come back and visit, and she seemed scared. She promised that she would and left her, sent her back to her room. The next night on April 1st, a man on his way home passed by Hinterkaifeck. He noticed seeing, he noticed smoke in the chimney and a light on in the house. And he saw someone outside on the property. He couldn't really see them because it was dark, but they began to come towards him with a lantern and he quickly made his way away from them and home. He said he was nervous and scared at, because of how the the stranger approached him like very aggressively. Others had passed by Hinterkaifeck that day as well, and everyone noticed that it seemed very quiet, like no one was home. April 1st was a Saturday, and although children had school on Saturday at this time, Celie didn't show up for class, and the teacher assumed that she had been sick or exhausted from the day before. That wasn't the only thing about Hinterkaifeck that day. The whole farm was silent except for the quiet sounds that the animals always made in the barn and stables. None of the family was seen coming in or out of the house. On April 2nd, 
Victoria failed to meet her friends with whom she regularly walked to church. She was in the choir and she never missed church. On April 3rd, the postman also noticed that nobody was at Hinterkaifeck. He noted that he usually saw Victoria's mother Cecilia and baby Joseph in the kitchen. Three days from the time the silence at Hinterkaifeck was noticed was April 4th. A machine repairman arrived at the farm to repair the engine of the food chopper. He waited for someone to come out for an hour. No one appeared, and only after finding the animals secured and the dog inside the barn, the repairman decided to get started. He fixed the machine, and he went to the neighbor, Lorenz, and said, Hey, I stopped by. I fixed that food chopper, but no one was there. Everything was quiet. I don't know what's going on, but will you let them know that I fixed this? After noticing the eerie absence of movement at the farm over several days and hearing the repairman, Lorenz, the widowed neighbor, gathered his sons, who were 16 and 9, to walk with him to Hinderkaifek. He told his sons that he was concerned that Andreas may have committed suicide. They arrived at the farm around 5 p.m., only to discover that everything was secured with one exception. The machine room lock was still broken and a large piece of wood had been secured against the door to prevent it from being opened. After they were able to push into the room forcefully, they began to search in the darkness. The answer of where the Gabriel and Gruber family was revealed when one of Lorenz's sons noticed a foot sticking out from under the hay. Andreas's body, clad in his pants and undershirt, was revealed. Further investigation revealed the bodies of a fully dressed Victoria and Cecilia and little Celie in her night clothes. Victoria showed signs of strangulation, but the others had all been hit with some sort of farm tool. It appeared as though Celie had not died instantly. Oof, that was the worst part. It really was. That she was the only one that didn't, and she it, it was over several hours. She had, like, what, like, pulled out tufts of her own hair? Is that what I read? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's awful, awful. Lorenz dragged Celie's body toward the light to get a better look and told his sons that he was looking for his son because his sons were like, don't touch anything. We need to get the police. Good boys. Uh, Lorenz was like, no, I'm looking for my son. He walked out and toward the stables where the family dog was tied and noticed a pickaxe leaned against like a wall near the stables. Only hours before, the repairman had seen the dog tied at the front of the house. The dog had a wound on its head and hid from the men as they approached. The cattle were now being loud, and Lorenz told his sons, okay, give them some hay because they're super loud right now. While they were doing this, Lorenz found his way inside the house. He entered the kitchen, found his way into Maria's quarters, which were just off the kitchen, And inside, he found Maria in the fetal position and baby Joseph covered with a skirt, but both of their heads had been crushed by what someone can only assume was a pickaxe. There was no blood spatter inside the house. Each member of the Gruber and Gabriel family, with the exception of Maria and the baby, had been meticulously lured into the machine room before sustaining a fatal blow to the head. The order of the killings couldn't be confirmed, but due to various states of dress and undress, it was believed that Victoria and Celie were the first victims, with the intended target being Victoria, because she was the only one who had those very personal signs of being strangled. Due to the stories that both Andreas and Victoria 
had told their neighbors it was believed that the murderer had been inside their home for days and then continued to live in the home with the bodies as all of the bread and several pieces of meat were missing from their family stock. Because the animals were pretty quiet, it was assumed that the murderer also fed the animals and took care of the farm with the dead bodies around him. The investigators found no clues. Lorenz mentioned that he believed that the pickaxe was the murder weapon, but that the cows had licked it clean. A rope hanging down from a loft revealed handprints, but nothing could be noted. The family was buried in a mass grave on April 8th, and 3,000 people attended. A 500,000 mark reward was offered in exchange for information leading to the arrest of the Hinterkaifeck murderer. Following the murderers, the fate of the farm was left to the courts. They were trying to decide who, you know, who got it because Andreas was very wealthy. It was a year after the brutal murders when the home was demolished. Um, prior to demolishing it, a Maddox pickaxe was found in the attic, fueling more theories that the murderer had been in and out of the home for at least six months, judging by the stories of hearing footsteps upstairs. The previous maid had quit her job six months prior. She had, like Meg said, you hear the stories of either it being haunted. My opinion, it is likely that she walked in on something that she did not want to see. Or be a part of, yeah. Yeah, I agree. The farm had been searched extensively and like canine units were used when they brought up, like when they were first examining the crime scene. They didn't, despite that, they didn't find the weapon then. The weapon was actually identified by George Siegel, a farmhand. He had helped out during harvest times and he told police that he knew firsthand that Gruber had made the pickaxe himself. He also explained that this pickaxe was kept with all of the other farm equipment in a tool shed, which is like, then why wasn't it there? Why was it in the attic? And the machine shop and the tool shed are the same thing like yeah. when we're referencing yeah. them. Over the last hundred years, there have been over a hundred suspects, thousands of people interviewed, and this case is still not solved. The horrific part following the murders was the heads of the victims were sent to clairvoyance to try to like, they, so they were decapitated and sent to try to get more information. But because it was World War II and like the turmoil and chaos that was like happening all around. It was World War One. This no, when the clairvoyants were, it was World War II. Okay. Yeah. In nineteen twenties? No, this was years later. They dug them back up and got their heads. I didn't even yes. see that part anywhere. <laughs> they, were, they were eventually buried without their heads. Ooh. Mm -hmm. That's unsettling. There was no evidence for like no leads from the psychics. That's why I don't like stopping like my re like research. I'm just like, wait, what? Yep. That's the hardest part about like doing cases like this. So we're going to talk about some of the suspects because like Meg said, this person had all of the time in the world to ransack the farm. But the only thing that was taken was the food, which they likely ate. There were large sums of cash found on that farm left untouched. Robbery was not the motive. And this is very important when talking about these suspects because it's a personal reason, right? Or it's just a psychopathic maniac, which is what we're going to talk about at the very end. Carl Gabriel was the first suspect. Yes. And I mean, her husband, that, husband. Died, that died in World War I. Because his body had never been recovered, there were wild like claims like that he had come back from war. He realized his wife had fathered a child with someone else. He realized that there are a lot of people who believe that her son was her dad's. Did it throw him into a fit of rage? Like, what happened? 
there were several firsthand accounts that said like, no, he died. We saw him die. So it is very unlikely that yeah, he Yeah, and some of the stuff that fueled that was that their marriage was not a happy one. Like yes. Andreas was really cruel to Carl and Carl wanted out of that marriage like a couple weeks in and they were like, no, because if like you get the farm, you know, like it's when they got married, Victoria got the deed. She and Carl got it. And when he died, the deed went just to Victoria. And when she died and Celie was alive, that deed went to Celie. Mm-hmm. Which, which is, is why it- the Gabriel family got the farm. In the yeah. End. Next stop is Lorenz Schlitt- Schlittenbauer. After his first wife died in 1918, like Meg said, he had a brief relationship with Victoria. It is widely speculated that he fathered Joseph. But he also remarried and had an infant son who unfortunately passed away 10 weeks after he was born. He was open about telling everyone he fathered Joseph. And it is believed that he either paid child support to Victoria or she had asked him to. So the motive behind this was, did Victoria tell him that Joseph was not his? Did he realize after, you know, the incestuous claims like that Joseph was Andreas's did Victoria break it off with him was he in a rage or like a mental breakdown like his son had just died he had another he son. also was the one that reported their incestuous relationship and yeah. got them both arrested too so it's like what's your motive here sir he it is thought that because he got into the front door fairly easily so did he have the missing key He lived close enough to them that he could have been in and out of the attic. He could have been walking around all of these places. He could have been the person that was talking. You know what I mean? Like, I tend to lean towards maybe some of the haunted actions, the people living in the attic was Victoria and Lorenz having a relationship. But she was closed in her day dress while everyone else was like in their PJs. So that's why like they believe like she had been killed first. No, I am of the mindset, I know we're going to talk about one that's very compelling shortly here, but like, Lorenz is the one that I'm like, "Mm, sir, you're looking pretty guilty to me, especially the keys. Yeah. The keys thing. Like, his sons were like, hey, how did you get those keys? He's like, oh, I found them in the door. He also was super quick to like try to tell the cops what things were like, oh, I think it was the pickaxe. That was the murder weapon. But then they find the actual murder weapon in the house. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. He his wife's alibi that she gave was just like, oh, he was working on the farm all weekend. He was in and out working on the farm. But like, that's not an alibi. Like like, they lived very They were neighbors. So like, I mean, like, point six miles away, Mm -hmm. like less than a mile. Yep. And go. This obviously is no excuse, no excuse for what happened. But if I were in a relationship with someone and I was believing, like, I believe their son was mine and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my son. And then, like, if she's, like, trying to break things off and she's like, that's not even your son. That's my Andreas's son. (laughs) That doesn't give anyone a right to do this level of brutality. But I could see where the flip would be switched. Like, you know, I could see where that would send someone over the edge. You said where the flip would be switched or the switch would switch be flipped. Flip. I think it yeah. worked both ways. <laughs> he maintained his maintained his innocence all the way up until his death. He sued anyone with slander and defamation lawsuits for who anyone who said that he was the murderer. And he won every time. That's probably how he paid his bills like towards the end of his life, honestly. 
Um, another set of suspects are the Gump brothers. Um, they were actually accused by their sister, Crescentia Mayer. She was on her deathbed and she accused them of the murders. They were Anton and Adolf. So Adolf died in 1944, but Anton was arrested for this. Like he was held. The case was actually discontinued because he couldn't be proven to have like committed the crime. So there was like a lack of evidence. Unlikely suspect, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I agree. Peter Weber, another unlikely suspect, in my opinion. Um, he was thrown in as a suspect by Joseph Betts. Apparently, Peter Weber had known about like the incestuous relationship, had made many comments about wanting to kill Andreas for his money. He asked uh, Betts if he wanted to help kill Andreas for the money. And when he, Betts was like, uh, oh, no. It wasn't brought up again. And then the murders happened. So he was like, oh, shit, he really did it. Like, he did it. But there wasn't any money stolen. So if he's like, hey, you want to help me kill this guy for his money and then you don't take any of his money? Mm -hmm. You just take his sandwiches? I'm not buying it. Um, their former maid, she was the one who quit after 10 months. She suspected brothers Anton and Carl Bichler, Bichler to have committed the murders. Um, Anton had helped with the heart potato harvest. So like he knew the farm. Um, she said that Anton talked to her about the Gruber and Gabriel family often. And he suggested that what was going on at that house, the family should be dead. And she also emphasized like, cause she was questioned by police about the farm dog who barked at Anton. Like he barked at everyone, but never barked at Anton meaning like he had been there many times, which also explained why no one heard the dog like going crazy when these murders were happening. Um, she said that she spoke with a stranger through her window at night, which is like weird. Like, why would you? So, she, But she believed that the man that she was speaking to was Anton's dad, Carl. She thought that Anton and Carl both had committed the murders together with George Siegel, who identified the pickaxe um, because he also had worked at the farm. He knew about the family fortune. And he had, Siegel had allegedly broken into the home in early 1920 and stole a bunch of items, even though he was like, no, nah, I didn't do that. But well, why would you admit it? Yeah, like, no, of course not. I never did that. Um, another person, another group of brothers that uh, Krizenia accused, she had like a whole group of like duos. And she's like, oh, this is the person who did it. But the Oh, you didn't get them? How about this? How about these two? Try these guys. The Thaler brothers were also suspected um they had already committed like several like minor burglaries and she said that this she was talking and i say this with the utmost respect and i'm not trying to mean this in a like derogatory fashion but she was speaking to a lot of men outside her windows at night because she's like oh yeah <laughs> I, and that's not a bad thing because like girls saying back in the day but that was it was just like kind of funny to me every time she's like well i used to talk to them at night in my window and like same thing with the Thaler brothers. She said that um, the brother Joseph Thaler would like stand at her window every night and ask her questions about the family. And she wouldn't Is that talk like to the equivalent of like throwing rocks at your window. Yeah, like I was you like, hey, hey, how much money is in there? <laughs> hey, you know that farmhouse? We should rob it. She said that he knew where everyone slept in the home, who was in what bedroom. And she he knew that they had a lot of cash on the premises. Um, he told her like, hey, it's not just me out here. There's someone else out here. And when she looked at him, he looked at the machine, like the tool shed machine house, and he like looked up, like in the top, like the attic of it. And I was like, thanks. But I'm going to get to who I think. And I'll be honest, some of them I left out because I was like, there's no way. 
There's no way. The person that I think committed these murders, if Lorenz did not do it, which he's he's tied for first. It's between him and this other guy. Paul Mueller. Read the book, The Man on the Train. But he was the only suspect of the 1897 murder of the Massachusetts family. Um, The author of the book, Bill James, believes that Mueller killed upwards of 50, 60 people. And these are like, this is like based off of research and like this newspapers that Meg was talking about in our haunted episode that we just had. In our regular bonus haunted episode. And the Hinterkaifeck murders had some of the similarities, actually. All of the similarities. Yeah. Uh, all of not just the hinterkaifeck like all of those murders that they talked about and he was german paul Mueller was from germany yep they thought that he committed like he had immigrated to america and then he committed his crimes and then just kind of like yeah bolted back to germany and it's he did the same thing he would stay in the homes afterwards he would take care of things like the chim you know like all these weird things that happened here in germany um so, like, his M.O. was he would slaughter an entire family at an isolated home. He would use the blunt edge of a farm tool as a weapon, a pickaxe. And there was no evidence of robbery as the motive. Um, so he what like Megan said in the last episode, like, he was a German immigrant. He might have departed from, from the U.S. back to Germany because of all the shit he was doing in the United States. And they were starting to catch up to him. Well, they were looking for him for, for a full year and they couldn't yeah. find him. Mm-hmm. While adults are Matic typically is a pickaxe. <laughs> yeah, like what is a Matic actually? Yeah, it's it a, is pickaxe. a pickaxe. <laughs> yeah, Mueller's primary motive is believed to have been a sadistic sexual attraction to prepubescent girls, which factored in the majority of the killings. While the adults were typically ambushed and murdered in bed while sleeping, girls often showed defense wounds or other evidence of struggle. That is a polite way of saying sexual assault. Um. I have a hard time deviating from Lorenz as the person who murdered the Just family. because of that personal connection to Victoria and like how she was strangled. I, that's why I think it's Lorenz. Luring to the barn is what separates it from Mueller's killings. Yeah, because they were all in like Bed. in their beds. Yeah, that's the main reason. Because in my opinion, Lorenz, this is what I think happened. I'm going to recreate the scene. I think he lured her to the barn and maybe that wasn't uh, maybe it didn't start out as like a negative thing. You know, maybe it wasn't like because I do believe some of the sneaking around the noises that were being heard was their relationship. Like I kind of that's what I think. Maybe it had ended. Maybe that's why like he I don't know. But well, I, think- I mean, even if she snuck out there and like she could have brought Celie with her, like maybe Celie knew, you know. If she yeah. and Celie went out there first and Celie was ready for bed or like followed her out there, that yeah. would make sense why they were the first two. And he well, was like, hey, come out here and talk to me. And then, you know, Andreas notices she's missing. And then or Cecilia notices Andrea, yeah, notices they're missing. And yeah, because they could have brought maybe they heard her out there screaming and they came to like be like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Maybe she was meant to be his only victim. The only thing that I went back and forth at first was the killing of Joseph. But if she told him that Joseph was not his son, then, you know, maybe. Mm -hmm. I had read that he sometimes claimed paternity and sometimes didn't. Like, it just kind of depended on the mood. Maybe it was like more likely before he got married that he would claim paternity. 
Yeah, so maybe it was a I don't need another kid kind of a situation. I'll just take out this whole family, you know, and yeah, no one will get any trouble. The the grief and the PTSD that a parent experiences after losing a child, it could bring someone to do the most disgusting, horrendous thing they've ever done. It's not an excuse. It's just like to know the how the brain works and like the ticking behind it. Maybe it was like a series of domino events for him and he just went off the deep end. Yeah. I think the scariest part of that story for me was like the footsteps into the barn and then nothing leading out. That's like, why when the brother was the Thayer was, was like, oh, yeah. And he like looked up. I was like, oh, shit, maybe it was them. Maybe it was. They were lurking up in there. Yeah, I can see that. But I also kind of feel like those guys were just talking. Yeah, they were just talking. There's, because they would have robbed There were so much rumors, and this case was so widely reported on in the area at the time. That's why so many people showed up to their funeral, you know? It wasn't normal for 3,000 people to show up to a funeral in, you know, rural Bavaria. People felt sad. So they knew what had happened. Lots of people knew what had happened. Celie's death, the maid's death, and young Joseph's death gutted feel really unnecessary just especially ugh. if you've already lured the rest of them out into the barn leave it at that fucking leave leave no why'd you have to kill a little girl and a baby a two-year-old why, why would you stay in that area like it just fe it feels excessively cruel to stay in their home for four days de three days to you know however long and Celie suffered for hours after she was attacked and he was in there. He would have yeah, known that. He knew that. This person knew that as this young girl. And I think that's the part that like it guts me. It guts me. Because like what type of like the person that can one commit these acts two stay in the home where these acts have been committed. And then three listen to Celia following the attacks. You are a fucking monster. And then there's the whole sci-fi part of it where they think that it was a demon. I I missed that one. I, was like, I think that was just like the sheer brutality of it and it being like the 20s and yeah, I could and then the spooky happenings of the keys are missing. There's noises in the attic. It's haunted, yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe I did briefly read about that, but I was like it's not a demon. <laughs> I mean, it is a demon, but not that type of demon. A demon who has like possessed a person, obviously. Yeah, the uh the Peter Mueller case is really interesting i'd really like to read that full book um and get a get a be better a idea it would yeah just to kind of like tie apparently a lot of loose ends i wonder what other i feel like you did clementine barnabas so it's only appropriate yeah might be might be an interesting one i have to pick it up on christmas break or something oh i'm done with spooky ones for a while though so it's <laughs> not guys if you have any ideas for November, now's your chance. Yeah. Two years, man. Went fast. And we've been doing Patreon for, what, 18 months? Just about? Since last April. Yeah. Man, that's wild. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. I just listen, think back to, like, our shitty sound quality, my shitty editing, because I didn't know what I was doing, the whole thing, and, like, look where we are now. I mean, it's still, like, eh. It's not like professional quality, but it's still like way better than <laughs> it was. But yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime. 
We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.